Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents I am one of the gents, Stephen Ellis And I'm the other gent, I'm Robert Wolfson and we are uh, back at it this week with a repeat guest. We actually have a repeat guest today. Yeah, our first repeat guest. We're so honored once again to have Greg Bellier. He's the Chief U.S. Policy Strategist with AGF Investments. Yeah, Greg's great. Really has his finger on the pulse, being that he lives in Washington, D.C., really has his finger on the pulse of U.S. politics. Yeah, and so much has happened in the past few months. We last had Greg on uh, early October, just before the election. And of course, it seems like an eternity ago, Steve. And uh, there's been a lot happened, obviously, the election, the insurrection, uh, the inauguration, uh, a lot going on. Yeah, it really does feel like a long time ago. And I think we're due for an update. I think it's a good time to bring Greg back. So without further ado, uh, join us in welcoming Greg to the podcast. Thanks for joining us again, Greg. Great to be with you. Yeah, we're extremely honored uh, to have Greg again. As many of you might remember, he uh, ran through some items before the election, and now we're back to do a follow-up on that. Yeah, it seems so long ago. It was the first week of October, which with everything that's happened, it seems like an eternity ago. I don't know about you, Greg, but it seems so long ago. Oh, it, it, uh, so much has happened uh, between then and now. Uh, luckily, I, I think when I talked to you in October, I, I thought Biden would win narrowly in a controversial election, and it certainly was uh, controversial. Uh, and now we've got a whole new team in, so maybe uh, I'll just give you a few observations on uh, where things stand with the, with the new uh, government. Uh, I, I guess first and foremost, I would say that the temperature has, is going to be lower. I think that's important, not 25 tweets a day. Uh, I think that uh, Biden... Uh, we'll talk about unity, but it's not all that easy to get that in a political environment as uh, controversial as it is in the U.S. But I think Biden is center-left. I certainly wouldn't say he's left like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. He's center-left. I think Biden will not try to pack the Supreme Court or change the filibuster rules or have enormous new tax hikes. I, I think he uh, has to deal with a Congress that's, of course, tied. The Senate is 50-50. And even though Kamala Harris can break a tie, that doesn't mean you can't still have a problem because the Democrats may have one or two or three moderates who won't vote with them. And that will mean that uh, Joe Biden's going to have to negotiate to get uh, much done. So in, in looking at the Biden agenda, you know, number one, obviously, is COVID. Uh, I, there's been quite a bit of disappointment in my country, and maybe yours as well, that the vaccines have not been distributed as aggressively as we had all hoped. I think that Biden knows that. I think Biden is going to make that his top priority. And I think by spring, we will be getting a million or more vaccinations a week, but it's going to be rocky for the next couple of weeks. I think the other thing Biden has to really work hard on is a COVID relief bill. It's clear that he wants a big one. But I think his proposal for $1.9 trillion is not going to fly. I think that all the Republicans will oppose it. It's just too much money. And I think there will be a handful of Democrats who will not favor that amount. It will seek a, a negotiation. But we will get a bill. We'll get uh, maybe not one 
one nine, maybe we'll get one four, one five, something like that. Nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money and on top of nine hundred billion that we got uh, at the um, at the beginning of January. So I do think there'll be more stimulus. It may take until late March uh, until Biden gets the bill that uh, he wants. But I think this concept of not having uh, a, a strong majority in Congress will will hound Biden. Uh, for the next four years of his administration. Uh, and I think it applies to taxes as well. I think once we do get another stimulus bill, there will be uh, a call for higher taxes and money spent on infrastructure. Uh, you've got Bernie Sanders would like to spend two or three trillion on green infrastructure, but the money isn't there. Uh, the Democrats also want to raise taxes on a lot of folks whether it's corporations or individuals or capital gains, we'll get some tax increase, but I think that also uh, will get uh, whittled down. I think this is not a bad scenario for the markets to have uh, a, a, a president who's going to need to negotiate uh, to get anything done. There are two other big issues that uh, we need to spend a minute or two on that will be uh, dominant in the Biden administration. The first is regulations. And he's already issued like 45 or 50 uh, regulations, and there, there are more to come. I think on the regulatory front, there are two issues that will be dominant. Number one is energy. And I have to say, I know I'm talking to an energy-centric uh, group uh, in, uh, in Calgary, but I would have to say that uh, this is an administration that is very much opposed to fossil fuels, to gas, oil. Uh, coal. And, and I think we've already seen the beginnings of this with the Keystone Pipeline uh, decision, uh, with the U.S. rejoining uh, the Paris uh, Climate Accord, and with the U.S. saying that you can no longer extract energy from federal land or, or federal seas. And this is a big deal. And I think uh, we will see also more regulations on emissions whether it's uh, factory emissions or car emissions. Uh, this is a group that is very, very activist on the whole issue of energy. And again, this is a group that really does not like fossil fuels. I think the other uh, big story on uh, regulations is going to be antitrust. Uh, this is a group that feels that big companies, especially big tech companies, have tried to crush competitors or small companies and I think there'll be a vigorous uh, prosecution on antitrust cases. Uh, I think also uh, the tech industry will face a higher corporate minimum tax uh, that will, I think, get enacted. It's funny, the Republicans don't like the tech companies because the Republicans feel they're being censored. The Democrats don't like the tech industry because they feel the tech industry has gotten too big uh, for its britches. So whether it's on the left or on the right, I do think the tech industry at the least will be facing headline risk and maybe toward the end of this year, uh, some regulation. Another area that I think will be significant for this administration is trade. Uh, I think that the tone will be a lot less uh, aggressive, uh, but I don't see the U.S. lightening up anytime soon uh, with China. I think Biden realizes that his own Democrats feel that China has not been uh, very uh, forthcoming on the virus, that China has treated its dissidents terribly, and that China has hacked 
into a lot of U.S. companies, uh, especially companies that are working on a vaccine. So my sense is that, uh, that maybe the rhetoric will get a little warmer with China, but I think the tariffs will stay for a while. And I don't see any big breakthrough, any kind of a, a warming uh, of relations between the two countries. I think with other countries, like in Western Europe, uh, clearly the tone will be more cordial. I think tariffs will be lifted. lifted. Uh, I frankly was a little surprised that on Keystone, I'm not sure that Justin Trudeau was given a heads up, that he was given a, an advance war warning. That said, though, I think the relations between Trudeau and Biden would be far warmer than between uh, Trudeau and, and Trump. I guess the other big story, uh, two big stories that I, I would finish up with, is number one, the enormous role by Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, uh, in addition to having uh, another one trillion plus in stimulus uh, on top of 900 billion, and you've got a Federal Reserve that will stay extraordinarily accommodative. Uh, as I record this on the 28th of January, I just saw the day before uh, the Jerome Powell press conference uh, in which he basically uh, pleaded for higher inflation. He, the Fed wants higher inflation. The Fed wants stronger growth. And I think that the Fed funds rate will stay close to zero for another two or three years. Uh, I know there's some concern in the markets that the Fed might taper its uh, purchases of assets, uh, fixed income assets. I, I sure didn't get that impression listening to Powell. I think he's got a long way to go before he tapers. That's not even in there thinking right now. And I realize the U.S. budget deficit is huge, uh, but I think debt servicing costs could be accommodated because the Fed will stay so easy uh, with, with money. At some point down the road, I think we're all going to have to start worrying a little bit about inflation and about higher rates, uh, but I don't think it's imminent. And I think that Powell and his uh, soulmate, uh, Janet Yellen, the new Treasury Secretary, uh, will ensure that the stimulus keeps coming. Uh, I, in fact, I would even go as far as to say that if there's a risk, it could be that we could overdo it. We could have too much stimulus. With an economy that's not in terrible shape, I would be the first to agree that the labor market is not in good shape. Uh, but at the same time, you look at housing, you look at the enormous activity at ports uh, with uh, basically ships coming in loaded with goods from Asia, ships going out of the U.S. loaded with goods to go to Asia. Uh, I think that there are a lot of areas in the economy that look good, and we're getting a lot more stimulus. Final subject. Uh, I can't, uh, can't finish without a word or two about Donald Trump, who has shown astonishing support among the Republican Party in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the party has coalesced around him. They will not convict him. He got impeached by the House, but there will not be conviction. Only a handful of Republicans would dare to take him on. Uh, any Republican who in the last month after the horrible events of January 6th when the Capitol was ransacked, any Republican who has come out and blamed uh, Trump even partially has been vilified within the party. And as a prime example, I would point to uh, Liz Cheney, uh, the daughter of uh, Dick Cheney, who's probably going to lose her leadership post in the House 
because she had the nerve to say that Trump uh, had rhetoric that inflamed uh, the rioters. Uh, the party is, is solidly pro-Trump. I think Trump will play a big role in endorsing in the 2022 election. And I think there's still a chance Trump may run again in 2024. He'd be 78, which is Biden's age today. And uh, Trump has, again, tremendous support, 80% in the Republican Party. The problem is, that's it. He has virtually no support in the suburbs among moderates, and certainly not among Democrats. So while he could still win the nomination, I, I think the jury is very much out on whether Trump could win a general election. But that said, he's going to be a very dominant player. He's going to make life complicated for Joe Biden. And I think just as I wrap up, that Biden will get some things done, but his lack of a clear majority in either the Senate or House means that what he'll get will be relatively moderate, and I think that's a good story for the markets. So, Stephen, let me stop there. I'd love to take some questions. Sure, yeah. As I expected, you answered a lot of the questions that I had coming in, but let's stick with Trump here for a bit. So, but what's next? What happens with Trump? There is talk of preventing him from holding federal office. Is that a possibility? There's also talk of him starting his own political party at this point. So maybe uh, just your thoughts on, on sure. what happens to Trump. Well, since they can't convict him in an impeachment trial, I'm not even sure they're going to have a trial, frankly. It's supposed to start on February 9th. We'll see. But if the Democrats know they're going to get shellacked, I mean, why even go through it? There still might be a fallback, and that would be a censure. And a censure could, I suppose, have a stipulation that he could no longer hold office. But I don't think the Republicans would agree to that. I think that's uh, unlikely. What I do think is likely is a tremendous amount of legal trouble for Donald Trump in the next couple of years. I think that the district attorney in Washington, D.C. will bring charges against him for inciting a riot. I think in the state of Georgia, officials will indict him for trying to tamper with the election there and try to uh, he tried to manipulate the election there. And in particular, I think there'll be legal action in the Southern District of New York, in New York, the New York City area, where the Attorney General was talking about uh, bringing charges against the Trump Foundation and its tax policies, against Trump's payment uh, to the porn star against Trump's uh, alleged uh, money laundering with Deutsche Bank. I mean, the list goes on and on. So I think that Trump is going to face a lot of legal headaches in the next year or two. So, Greg, you're based direct in Washington, D.C., and you've been following politics for four decades, I believe. So I, I could imagine, uh, as an American, I, I, I'm just curious of what your opinion was watching everything unfold back on January the 6th, someone that actually lives there, this is your career. And, you know, to your point about impeachment, if this doesn't incite impeachment or conviction, what does? Is it just because he's already out of office? If he still had more term, would it be a different ending for Trump? Well, very good questions. First of all, I probably have been in the Capitol building two or three hundred times. Uh, I, it's a beautiful building. I am always in awe of our democracy and, and that building stands for that. And to see it ransacked, by people who uh, had uh, anti-Semitic shirts on, people who had white power uh, symbols, uh, people who actually put at risk members of Congress. I mean, 
And one of the reasons he got impeached by the House is that members of the House were furious that their lives were at risk. Five people died, and um, the mob was chanting, hang Mike Pence. They were looking for Nancy Pelosi. It was a really ugly scene. And as someone who's, yeah, I'm, I'm a product of Washington. I, I know the players, and I, I respect the institutions. It was shocking. It was sickening to see something like this uh, happen. And, and I think that motivated people to uh, impeach him. But as the, the, the last few weeks have unfolded, more and more Republicans are saying, look, he's, he's out of office. He's gone. Why do we want to go through this? And, and to be fair, that's a valid argument. And I have been arguing, and I've gotten a lot of pushback from my friends. I have been arguing that an impeachment trial would be a miscalculation by the Democrats. First of all, it would obscure their efforts to get a stimulus bill. It would complicate things. Second of all, it would make Trump into a martyr. Uh, it's worth noting that a year ago, when we had the first impeachment trial, Trump's job approval numbers went up uh, because people thought there was a, it was a witch hunt, which he kept saying over and over again. And then third, I thought I still think it's not necessary because he's, they're going to lose. They're not going to. They're not going to convict him. The votes aren't there. I think there are much more important things to do right now than to get bogged down in, in an impeachment trial. Um, all the Republicans agree, and a, a handful of Democrats agree. So let's move back to Biden here. So one thing that's really been in the news through certainly the first week of Biden's term is the number of executive orders he's signed. So I'm curious to know, is he looking to quickly undo a lot of things Trump has done? Is he concerned about working with Congress or is he just trying to quickly get some things done in terms of COVID? It's a really good question. And, and I would say that uh, Biden's hope was to get a, a bipartisan agreement on a lot of uh, issues. And he had hoped that Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, would work with him. Uh, McConnell and Biden have known each other for decades. In fact, McConnell was the only Republican senator who went to the funeral of Biden's son, uh, Bo. Uh, both of them feel, both McConnell and uh, Biden feel, they're good negotiators, they respect each other. But the initial signs are that the Republicans and Democrats, as usual, are going to gridlock on a wide range of issues. So I think that, that Biden has two options. Number one is to do executive orders, and he has, and he's going to have more. Uh, you can do that without congressional approval. You can say, I hereby decree on certain things. Secondly, the other option is to use this uh, arcane provision called reconciliation, which allows you to get anything passed if it involves the budget or taxes with only 51 votes. And with Kamala Harris, theoretically, the Democrats would have 51 votes. Well, the problem with that, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, is that it's not certain every Democrat will vote with uh, Biden. And in order to get these bills, Biden is going to have to negotiate. So it will test his skills. Uh, he's a wily old guy. He's 78 years old. He's been around forever. Uh, he knows how to negotiate. I think he'll get things done. But the big story for the markets is that a very aggressive, progressive agenda with all sorts of uh, left-wing proposals, I think will not make it. I don't think Biden will have the votes. Now, just a quick follow-up. Is he at all concerned 
you know, you talk about a four-year term, but when you have uh, elections every two years, right? I mean, essentially, the makeup of Congress could change in two years. Is he looking at it that way in terms of his timeline? Good point. You know, the history shows, history is not always 100% accurate, but the history shows that a new president in his first midterm election, that is after two years in office, his first midterm election, on average loses about 5% of his party's members in the House and Senate. Well, things are so tight now, if Biden lost 5% of each house now, he would lose each house. Uh, The Republicans would take over each house if that 5% standard applied. So Biden wants to move quickly. I get that. And, you know, not to get macabre or anything, but Biden is 78. He sometimes looks a little frail. I think he would like to get as much done as possible. Uh, There will be an inordinate amount of focus on Kamala Harris, um, who spent much of her childhood in Canada. It's not generally known. Her mother taught at McGill in Montreal. So I I think Kamala Harris could be a big player. Biden knows all this, so I think Biden is going to try to move as quickly as he can before the 22 elections. That means if he wants to get some tax increases, I think he's going to have to at least propose them by this summer. So, Greg, just to uh, turn the page a little bit on a different topic, but still Washington-centric and how it relates to us with the markets, it's been a real interesting week with all of these short stops and the Reddits with GameStop and AMC, uh, these types of companies. I mean, Janet Yellen, I mean, her seat's not even really warm yet. She's really just sat down in it. Um, How do you see uh, Washington cracking down on what's happening currently with all of these uh, short sellers and these people trying to go against the hedge funds, et cetera? Well, it's quite a story, and I think the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, is going to have to step in and announce that they're looking at this. Uh, there's two possible scenarios, and frankly, I'm not sure which one I, I believe in. One is that this is a bunch of people who uh, want to make a quick buck, who believe in this what, pump and dump, uh, that, that they're trying to manipulate the market to make a lot of money. The other scenario is that this is a populist uprising, Maybe all the people who are on uh, Twitter all day long and social media uh, feel that uh, it's time to go after the hedge funds and that there's some uh, political agenda to it. Regardless of the motive, I think the SEC is going to have to get involved and uh, take a good look at this because you know today was a good day in the market, thankfully, but uh, yesterday was not. And I think there's going to have to be a government examination of this type of trading. The, the key thing for the SEC is whether there is a conspiracy, whether that people have gotten together to conspire to drive stuff, the price of stocks up or down with puts and calls. So I, I, I think this is going to persist for quite some time. And I think that the government is going to have to get involved. Yeah, very incredible. It will definitely be interesting to see and watch what happens over the next uh, weeks and months to come. But I think one thing is for sure, it's not going to be as active as the last three months were, I'm sure. Uh, I, I don't know about you, Greg, but it's been incredible, even as Canadians watching everything that's happened in the past uh, quarter with U.S. politics. Oh, it, I've never seen anything like it. I've been around for a long time, and I know a lot of the players. And I think, you know, we're all, we were all shocked that a, a president who clearly lost, I mean, there was no question that he lost, and there was no significant fraud 
as his own attorney general declared, to see what happened in November, December was just astonishing. And personally, I'd be happy if things quieted down a little. So if, if the temperature does lower, as I said at the beginning, I think that's a good thing. I guess just one final question, and no one really knows the answer to this, but personally, I can't believe that so many people actually believe the big lie. Yeah. Like, and even in his own party, it seems unfathomable to us that so many people just you know, blindly believe the information. Well, you know, Trump said all during the summer and fall that the election would be rigged and his supporters, I mean, we, we can't forget, he got 74 million votes. Biden got um, 81 million votes, uh, maybe close to 82. But the Trump supporters believed that the election was crooked and Trump kept trying to reinforce that. But as I point out to people, there were 60 court cases uh, brought by the Trump people that there was some fraudulent activity. All 60 were rejected, and many were rejected by judges that Trump appointed. Yeah, it's so interesting. Well, Greg, I think that's about that about wraps it up, and we're so grateful that you can take the time out of your schedule. I mean, obviously, so much going on, and, and uh, we're very grateful that you can give us a call and give us an update. Very timely, obviously, just uh, uh, so new into the Biden administration. And so thank you very much for taking the time uh, to give us a call. Well, I enjoyed it, and my fondest wish is that someday, maybe in the summer or fall, we can all be together, maybe having an adult beverage. Uh, finally, this horrible COVID will be over. Agreed, yeah. Thank you, Greg, and uh, again, right. thanks for your time. We really appreciate it, and stay safe. You too. Good health to everybody. You as well. Thanks. So, Rob, it was really great to have Greg back on. Yeah, I can honestly see if I can listen to him talk forever. He's just so dialed in. He just knows his stuff. As we mentioned in the conversation, he's been doing it for four decades. So, and he lives right in Washington. Can't yeah. reiterate that as much. So, he's the perfect person. Yeah, wonderful resource, and and so honored that he uh, joins us to bring his insight to all of our listeners. So, as always, appreciate you joining us and and listening. If you have any ideas for future episodes, please let us know. You can find our information at ellisfinancialgroup.ca. You can hit us up on Twitter at ellisgroupyyc. Hit us up. You're so hip, Rob. <laughs> hit us up on what else can they hit? You can hit LinkedIn. us. You can hit us up on our telephones. Yeah, hit us up on our telephone <laughs> on LinkedIn. Yeah, check us out on LinkedIn. Uh, anyway, uh, in all seriousness, again, thanks for joining us. And as usual, once again, I am Stephen Ellis. And I'm Robert Wolfson. And we are a couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.